0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films.
1: Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson, with me, Chris Fry. We are the co directors and co founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual and upcoming Foot Candle Film Festival.
2: Chris, as always, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I am looking forward to discussing the film we're going to talk about today. It was one of my top 10 uh, anticipated movies of 2023, so I'm happy to be able to check it off my list and say... I've been able to see it, so excited to talk about
1: it. You've been able to see it, and you're going to get to talk about it. Yes. So all in the same same uh, same couple of days here. Uh, we are talking about the film Oppenheimer, which is the latest from writer director Christopher Nolan, starring Cillian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, and a whole slew of others. We'll get into as we get into the review. After we do our review of Oppenheimer, Chris and I are going to circle the wagons and talk a little bit about some news in the movie world, especially as it comes down to the strikes that are going on, the writer's strike and the actor's uh, guild strike, both happening simultaneously. What kind of impact is it happening on some productions that we're curious about or watching? So we'll have some updates to talk about in our news section after the review. But Chris, let's go ahead and get into our, our, our review for this episode, which is the film Oppenheimer. <laughs>
2: We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means. If the Nazis have a bomb. We have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. I can't remember the first time I saw a trailer for Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I do remember one thing present in the trailer was the date, July 21st, 2023, and a countdown clock that was quickly, you know, ticking down. I was left wondering, how is this story of the father of the atomic bomb going to be made entertaining and engaging? If anyone can make a biopic without falling into the trappings of a biopic, it would likely be Nolan, I think. With the runtime right at three hours, did the film manage to entertain you, or do you think this film is a box office bomb about the making of a bomb?
1: <laughs> ah, box office bomb? That's good. I like that. Um, no, this is this is good. This is good. Um, it's a little bit of a loaded answer. Good. But I'm going to go with good. <laughs> no, I, I, I generally did like this for a variety of reasons we okay. can get into. Um, it is long, sure. Um, only felt it as long in, in certain parts that again, I I'll, I'll can go into more details a little bit later. But I think for the most part, it works with the length and, there, and there's a lot of content to cover here. Um, it is, you know, Christopher Nolan's first biography, historical biography film, which i thought, yeah. thinking back. I'm like, yeah, that's true. It is the first time we're seeing, you know, I mean, Dunkirk obviously was based on real characters, real sure. situation, but, but it didn't, yeah, it didn't really feature a real character or real person from history as, as right. specifically as obviously Oppenheimer does. Um, and I was, I was happy with the way that the story was told in a very Christopher Nolan ish way using different timelines and different perspectives and even kind of shifting film stock to kind of resonate and let you know whose story you might be listening to or what element of it. Um, It it was a little bit of a, you know, the whole thing we we gripe about with the biopics is it feels like it's trying to cover too much ground of a person's life. And yes, Oppenheimer does start when we see a young Oppenheimer, youngish, you know, college age, I guess. Right. uh, All the way to... Much older Oppenheimer, but I think it was handled extremely well because the focus of the film is a key, probably, you know, 10 to 15 year period of his life. That obviously is the, the, the basis for the film. Um, it had all of the Christopher Nolan touches, you know, that you would expect from his films. I mean, the pacing, the music, uh, the building of tension, um, all the, the tropes that you would normally see in one of his films are applied to the biopic format in this, in this film. And I think it worked. I think it worked really well. Um, I will say one thing before I want to toss it over to you, because I I definitely want to hear your thoughts. Okay. Uh, I've never walked out of a Christopher Nolan film thinking about the acting acting is not something that I always say is like the highest point of a Christopher Nolan film. It's not even dark Knight. no,
2: no, I mean, uh,
1: yeah. Okay. The Heath Ledger sure is a supporting, <laughs> okay. but I'm saying in general, like okay. you know, looking at, do I walk out and say, wow, the acting, that film was just amazing. It's all tone and style and direction and visuals and sound that come out of it. Oppenheimer though, honestly, I walked out thinking about the acting. Cause I do think we have some really, really excellent performances by Cillian Murphy as Robert Oppenheimer, uh, Emily Blunt as his, his spouse, And uh, I'm going to call out Robert Downey Jr. I think we're going to have to talk about him a little bit later on. I got some notes on him. But playing Louis Louis Strauss, um, really good. Really, really good. So with that, Chris, I'm just going to say I did appreciate and enjoy the film. Have a few misgivings I'll get into a little bit later, but not enough to say that I did not like the film. So I am on the positive side. Chris, I want to hear your thoughts. And Chris, I really want to hear your thoughts because here's the thing. You said this was one of your top 10 anticipated films yes. of 2023. Yeah. But this is also coming from someone who you weren't you weren't a big fan of Interstellar, I think, when you first saw it. Although I think you might like it better after you saw a second viewing of it I, recently. I did and, like it a little yeah. better, yeah. Tenet, I don't believe you were that big of a fan of. No. Um, so, you know, other than a couple of the... I, I know you've liked some of his stuff, but I've not heard you rave about any any Nolan film. So I'm kind of curious what made this show up on your top ten list, and then did it deliver?
2: Well, okay. So to answer the first question, which kind of feeds into the second question, regardless of how I feel about any individual Christopher Nolan film, I don't think any of them are bad. Okay. Like there's no, even though you can look at my ratings on Letterboxd and be like, wait a second, you gave Tenet two and a half. Mm-hmm that probably has to do with the fact that I haven't seen it again (laughs) and expectations. I hold him, I hold him and his films to a high bar. So I'm always expecting great things when I walk in. Um, so that's why like him coming out and you know, him doing an original film and him trying a biopic. I was like, yeah, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do and doing a biopic. Yeah. How is he going to make it interesting? Mm -hmm. And Yeah, it worked for me. I was surprised how well it worked for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Without giving, I mean, everybody knows, unfortunately, you know, the guy did make a bomb and it had a lot of effects and stuff. So I'm not spoiling anything. I'm not talking about that. But the way he constructed the film, I thought he was just doing something very basic where he was cutting back and forth in timelines and using different film stock. Cause apparently he actually developed like a black and white film that he wanted to use for the scenes and just colorize it or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, which there again, very Christopher Nolan thing to do oh, yeah. and you have the money to be able to do that. Ooh. So good job. Um, without giving anything away though, um, his film, the prestige, you kind of follow it and you think, you know what's going on. That is a fiction film, but he's able to kind of twist things with the story that you're like, Oh, 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 like it, things kind of change on you. And I don't want to give anything away with um, Oppenheimer because that was something that kind of didn't throw me for a loop. I was like, oh, interesting. And there were some things that kind of happened along the way. Not that I don't – I'm not a history buff, so I don't know all the details, but some of the details really surprised me. And the way he was able to kind of use story elements to kind of keep me interested, especially we're talking about maybe in the last hour or so, things starting to know like, oh, wait, what? Okay, interesting. And like, you know, to keep me kind of – Guessing, I guess, but it that was not expected by me, and kind of answered the question. Okay, yeah, that's how he. This is a Christopher Nolan version of a biopic, and man, was it refreshing for me, and I really enjoyed it. And as you mentioned, I think a lot of the um, performances were also pretty, pretty, uh, pretty out stellar. And I think it's hard. Gillian Murphy, he's been in a lot of Nolan films. And it's interesting because one of the one, the thing that I remember he was in Dunkirk. I don't even remember him from Dunkirk really, but I remember isn't the scarecrow in yeah. the Batman films that he did. And it's interesting because you take that character of the scarecrow who he's a villain, but he's like kind of, you know, he's very odd. Oppenheimer, the character that Killian Murphy plays, not that he's, he's not playing a villain, but he's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, he's not put up on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. but yet he's not just totally knocked down and saying this guy was, you know, a monster Nolan does a very, I feel like a very good job of just showing this is this person. These are all these different aspects. He's very human. He's very brilliant, but he is also very flawed. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I was I'm, I'm happy that Murphy had a chance to kind of move to the forefront mm-hmm. and be at the center of this film because I think this is kind of like a once in a lifetime type thing and you know I, I think he just I think he really knocked it out. of the.
1: Park. No, I, I completely agree. I think his performance was amazing in this film. I, I was fixated on his performance the whole time and even to have playing Oppenheimer at I think I counted four different time periods in his (laughs) life. Not only acting was really solid in all, all those stages, but the makeup, I mean, I got to throw out for the makeup and the crew that worked on that. It was seamless. I really felt like, you know, if you did not know Killian Murphy as an actor, I think you'd have a hard time placing exactly which aged (laughs) version we saw was really him because they just did such a good job with that. Um, yeah, I was I was really, really impressed with his performance. He was exactly the right pick for this role. And uh, it worked all the way through for me. Um, so a few things with from I want to get back to the acting in a second. But sure. A couple things on the on the Nolan side, a little bit more of the the, the film itself, the, the creation of the film. Okay. Um, I, and this is both some praise and, and a couple of criticisms. I think pacing is always a big thing with a, with a Nolan film, but I Nolan films perfect. typically go at, I consider to be almost like a breakneck speed. It's just, you feel like scenes are scenes are just the amount of information you need, just the amount of dialogue you need before you're cutting to another scene, before okay. you're introducing another character, before you're moving forward. Sure. The first half of this movie, our uh, first hour for sure, I'll say was pretty breakneck. Uh, to a point, it was a little dizzying. At a, at a at a point, it was a lot of characters, it's a lot of information, it's a lot of set pieces, it's a lot of movement. Yes, and the fact that we're watching it from three different vantage points and timelines in a way, as we're recounting these stories, it it was a lot. It was a lot. That sure. was actually some feedback. Even people I saw the film with said, "Wow, that first hour was kind of kind of a lot. You know, to process." <laughs> right. But I think by the time we get to a point in the film where. I mean, you've already said it's not really a spoiler. I mean, there is a bomb involved in the film. I think we can safely say that. Mm -hmm. I think the build-up to that, about the time where the film shifts into the part of the story where they're building
2: Los Alamos, yeah, they're building
1: Los Alamos town. That's when I feel like the film kind of settled into a rhythm that was that was good. It's like, okay, you've thrown all this exposition and all this background and all these characters and all this setup for us. Great, we got it. Now we're into, okay, it's all kind of come together into this this middle portion of the film that I thought was the best. I thought it worked extremely well. All the way through the actual detonation scheme, some of the aftermath of that. It was all just so good. I do feel like the film afterwards languished a little bit. I feel like the film maybe stretched a bit too into, I mean, we're then dealing with some different Politics, politics. There's, there's kind of a, there's a political hearing that's going on at the same time. There's a more of an investigative, uh, questioning, uh, interrogation scenes going on. I, I felt like that started to stretch a little bit. It started to be a little, a, a little repetitive after a while. But then it came back to an ending that I think worked extremely well when it capped off the film. And I will say that ending I think was just punctuated by Robert Downey Jr. I thought his final scene. I'm so I was really impressed with, I, I, I feel like he punctuated that film at the end, brought it home. And, uh, even if I might've been a little, uh, felt like I was languishing a little bit for about 20, 30 minutes leading up to that. Uh, the ending still sold it for me. So what's your thoughts on, on, uh, Mr. Downey's performance in this. I'm curious.
2: So he is kind of, what fuels my enjoyment of the let's I don't I wasn't looking at my watch, (laughs) which is a good sign in a film, you know, I did know, going in, it was three hours. So let's let's pretend first hour is setup, Second hour is Los Alamos. And third hour is aftermath with politics. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's let's pretend that sure. I don't think that's close. So the second hour is kind of your anchor. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot going on in the first part. You, you're right. I mean, it's so many different people. Um, somebody asked me afterwards, oh, did they include this guy who was also working on the hydrogen bomb? I'm like, I don't know. They could have, maybe I don't, (laughs) the name sounds familiar, but there were so many different scientists and I'm sure they were all accurate. He
1: could have been one of the 15 (laughs) Caucasian men standing in the room. I don't know,
2: (laughs) but I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sure. Probably, but you know, yeah, it was, it's a lot thrown at you. Then the aftermath, let's, the third hour, that was so unexpected to me because I thought yeah. it was going to kind of be, you mm-hmm. know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes after the bomb exploded, and that was going to be the end of the movie. And no, there's all this other stuff. So I was kind of confused, not confused, but just surprised at that third hour. But then the more it began to kind of spool up, I was like, Oh wait. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah." It, and, it took, it took its time getting spooled up that third hour. It, it, uh, I don't normally, I try never to wa- look at my watch in a movie. Right, sure. It's just, I just don't feel like I need to be guided by where we are time wise. But sure. I was curious after the bomb. And after that whole thing is settled, I'm like, I'm just curious. Right. I'm like, I'm not, it's not that I'm bored. If yeah, I'm looking just... at this, i am like, Oh God, when is this over? It's more of a, I'm just, I'm curious. We, we saw the big, that big scene and I'm like oh my gosh we've still got another hour I'm like yeah I'm like you I'm like I don't know where this is going now <laughs> right. so it right. was surprising it did take a while I think for it to spool up to that the building that it was going to the ending but when it got there it was it was good
2: and it all centers on you were asking me about Robert Downey Jr. it all centers around that because he does kind of come to the forefront in that yeah. third part there are little threads and little tidbits that they throw in those first two hours, but then he really kind of comes around in that third hour. Mm. And I'll say this about Robert Downey Jr. I've always thought he was a good actor, but I guess his abilities have been erased by his work in the MCU. Not that his work in the MCU was bad. It wasn't, but you know, I thought he was great as Iron Man, but it just doesn't make me, realize his true potential and this film I was like right Robert Downey Jr. is actor capital A actor (laughs) yeah
1: there's (laughs) just oh yeah he is
2: he's really 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 good and in addition you know Kelly Murphy obviously a lead but I feel like it would be a shame if he wasn't at least nominated as best supporting actor for this this because it just he's he's crucial in a way of keeping the story moving but you don't realize it until that third hour. And then you realize it. And then he kind of shifts the spotlight. In oh, some yeah. ways.
1: No, he definitely. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could watch that performance. I'm just going to say in the back room of the congressional hearing with, I guess his aide or, or someone. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Now look, I'm also going to throw out too. I oh, think sure. Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer was also really strong. Now here's the thing with the Nolan film. Right. Nolan, Nolan doesn't do women very well. Okay. I've, I've heard
2: that. Yeah. I've heard that, um, complaint and I, yeah. I would kind of agree. I did. I never really think about it, but when it's brought to my attention, I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah. He does kind of slight women. I mean, name. his,
1: his films have never had female protagonists. They've The women have always served as just vehicles to get the main lead men character to where they need to be. And I don't like that. And it's a shame. I'm going to give it a little bit of a pass in this film because this is a biopic. This is a, (laughs) it is about Robert Oppenheimer. We understand the role Kitty played. I think the performance of Emily Blunt gave was really good. Well, Uh, very strong. Um, interesting, a little chaotic, but I think that's also the character we're supposed to see. And she had her moment to shine too. I think when we get to the end and the interrogation scene, she did. And I think that's
2: what, okay. So Oppenheimer apparently, um, a spoiler, I guess, to people who like me don't really know anything about him—not to people who know stuff about him. But he kind of—he was a womanizer. Oh yeah. Okay, so in I this mean, film, yeah. you see that, and there is uh, one of his romance fling people, played by Florence Pugh, who I didn't even—I guess I knew she was in this movie because you heard the longer list of everybody that I was mean, in
1: it. Half of Hollywood is not movie, in it, so, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so I heard she was in it, and then the part that she's in, it – okay that could be something that if you didn't have the Emily Blunt character to kind of counterbalance it a little bit, I can see how you'd say like, Oh, that's a typical Nolan just given women short shrift showing she's just a plot device yeah. and she's just treated really poorly, which all said true. However, Emily Blunt, I feel like she's more complicated and she has a scene where she, she owns it and oh. it is, she shows how strong she can really be. Yep. And I think that that yeah, I think that could kind of counterbalance. Honestly, Emily thing, so. Blunt's
1: performance followed by Downey's performance yeah. all in that last 30 minutes of the film nailed it. I mean, it's just it was great. And then we cap with a very I love the way Nolan had the scene play out where we revisit a scene uh, yes. from early in the film. Yes. That becomes you come to find out pretty critical scene especially for um for Louis Strauss's kind of his whole take on what's going on in the situation around him, his interpretation of a scene and we get to see it play out and the way it was laid out for us. And it's just, it was great. And yeah. then that being the ending of the film was perfect. So loved it. Um, good it punctuated the end. Really good. Um, look, I'm going to say a couple more quick things. I mentioned the makeup on, on Killian Murphy. I thought was wonderful. Um, Agreed. maybe not as great on Matt Damon, we haven't talked about Matt Damon. I think Matt Damon was fine oh, in this sure. movie. I think he was good. Um, I don't think he kind of rose to the level that we got with the other three we've talked about. But I, I think he was good. And he did a great job in his role. Uh, I also really like Alden Eldridge, um as uh, the Senate aide. He was impressive. I've never seen him get to really kind of give a performance like that. And, and he kind
2: of, for me, he's kind of disappeared. He was in Solo. Yeah. He was in Hail Caesar. But then he kind of... I kind of hadn't seen him in a while. So when he showed up, I was like, Oh, cool. There's Alden Avernike. But kind of like Downey, through the first two parts of the film, he's right. very, you There's know, just not a lot to him breadcrumbs type you stuff.
1: You start to realize where his character builds. But he to. does
2: get to kind of have some good stuff yeah. with Robert Downey Jr. So, yeah. Um,
1: but I will say it's a little bit of a concern. I, I, it's that, I liked all the performances I just listed out. Sure. And I was really happy to see some actors that I'm familiar with that are not big name actors that are not v- terribly visible actors, but getting some great roles. Macon Blair. Mac- Jane, yeah. Jane- Macon Blair. Mm-hmm.
2: He's another. Okay. Yeah. Again, kind of like um, Alden Ehrenreich. I saw him. Yeah. I recognized him. First two thirds of the film, nothing. And you think, oh, he's just, you know, right. he's just kind of sitting at a table and he's there. But then he does get... Get, good get to do some stuff. So well, yeah. you
1: know, James Darcy, Tony Goldwyn, um, uh, Alex Wolf, Benny Safdie, you know, <laughs> all of these guys that I yeah. really like that are great actors getting to get some good parts. And the concern is that I just, I feel like the film, I feel like Nolan still relies on too many big name actors mm-hmm. for key scenes. And it's distracting at times. I don't feel like we needed a Rami Malik playing the role he did. I don't think we needed, um, Jason Clark playing the, and, uh, pr- prosecutor, the, uh, uh, interviewer. Uh, right. I don't think we needed Matthew Modine in yet another movie. I mean, look, I like Matthew <laughs> Modine, but he's, it's just these recognizable faces. I don't, the film did not need it. And I feel like it's actually a little jarring
2: because I, you're, they kind of pop up. You're yeah. Like, Oh, look at there. Look oh, at there. look
1: who it is. Like, cause even in the theater, the people behind me are like,
2: Oh, look, it's Remy Malik.
1: <laughs> I'm like, okay, that, you know, it didn't need that. It did not need it. And, and uh I feel the same way about Wes Anderson films sometimes, mm-hmm. although Wes Anderson at least- I was about to bring him up. Actually. Although Wes Anderson has fun with it. It's kind of fun that you see these big name actors. It's not needed for a Nolan film. I mean, really, you've got three or four key leads who all have incredible parts to play. And then let these other actors that are not as household names or recognizable names, but just good character actors fill in those roles. I, we just didn't need the other big name um, mm-hmm uh, the big name marquee actors kind of playing these parts, but they really had like four or five lines. Maybe if that,
2: I mean, Same. I can see how from his perspective, he's like, he's just really established now and he can get pretty much oh, whoever he wants. I'm
1: sure everybody <laughs> wanted to take a role. It's like you did. T- Rami Malek's like, right. Oh good. I get a role. I'm in the film for like four minutes cool. and I get to say three <laughs> lines. I'm, I'm in count me in. You right.
2: Know? Um, but I, I can see how it's it just a little distracting. It, it kind of sure. jarred
1: you out of the film. It's like the film goes in such a good rhythm that it's like when those moments happen, it's like somebody turns around and like, oh look, it's that actor that we all know and you know from this other thing. It's um, it's a bit distracting. So
2: <laughs> Jason Clark, who plays the interviewer, uh, mm-hmm. Roger Robb my son turned to me after. He's like, man, I hate that guy. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was like, no. yeah, you're, you're supposed to. He's like, yeah, I know, but man, I just like, yeah. I wanted to hit him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that's <laughs> so kind of what he, he does. He did a good job too. No, so.
1: I mean, that that's a good sign of a good performance. Yeah. It evokes that kind of emotion for somebody in the audience. So. Right. Um. No, look, I thought the movie was great. I thought it worked really, really well. I, I did have some pacing issues in the last third before we got really built up to what I think was a really stellar Finale to it. And I do feel like the the name dropping of big name actors throughout the film was a little much and distracting at times. Um, but otherwise, I, I don't really have any other complaints of the film. I, so I got
2: to say, you know, obviously, you you know heard all my comments. I don't have I, I don't have any complaints. I don't okay. have any holdups. I think this is this is my favorite film of the year thus okay. far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it might be. Christopher Nolan's best. Now I'm not Hmm. saying it is my favorite Christopher Nolan film for that. I need to kind of, you know, look at things, but I think as far as As as
1: the body of work, kind of of work. And like,
2: I know, you know, a lot of people will complain like, Oh, you know, everybody throws superhero movies under the bus. So just say like, you know, all three Batman movies. Yeah, they're good. But what they're trying to do is different from something like Oppenheimer's trying to do. So I think from a, you know, a film perspective. If mm-hmm. you want to give something the film, this is a movie. This is a film. Yeah. I think this, like, I think it's kind of his, his masterwork at this point.
1: Well, I mean, you take a look at filmmakers like Spielberg and uh, others, you know, Spielberg, you look at people have their favorite films, but people kind of say, Oh, Schindler's list was maybe kind of his best film, you know, as far as a film experience. I don't know people right. argue that that's kind of the approach I think you take with this. This is sure. the one that's got all of the elements working the right way. Right. And it's more interested in crafting and an, a, a film as opposed to a spectacle or, or, or an event. And, um, yeah, I can see that. No, this is, I can go ahead and tell you, this is not my favorite Nolan film, but I can make the argument for probably the best crafted and constructed and best told film he's made.
2: And I, I, also a good sign. It is three hours. I look forward to seeing it again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I actually would like to. It's, it's just like a Nolan film. I mean, you already listed out two other films that you said you kind of felt like you need to see again <laughs> or you had to see again to right. appreciate. Same here. I, there's a lot of moments in this film I'm kind of thinking back to. I'm like, I kind of want to revisit that I kind of want to make sense of that again so because um, it's like
2: the for me that's why I, I know it's weird to say this, but the prestige is what I kept thinking about mm-hmm. when things started changing in this mm-hmm. film and I loved that film the first time but I just liked it more and more when I could watch it more and see what they it was doing. are
1: rewarding for multiple takes
2: yeah and the, so for a biopic to me that's kind of weird that a biopic is you're rewarded for multiple viewings but in this one the way it's done I think that's definitely a case yeah um I'll say, kind of a closing thing too that um, surprised me. And this doesn't give any spoilers so I can talk about it freely. Um, no one's known for being loud. Yeah. Like in Tenet, there are all these loud parts. Dunkirk, there are all these loud scenes, like explosions, things that. Lots of things are always loud. People complain a lot of times, I can't hear the dialogue. I have no, I need subtitles because everything's just so loud. Oppenheimer, yep, there are some scenes that are loud. However, something that surprised me was the use of silence mm-hmm. by him in this film. And it was it was cool. Um, one known for loud moments, but instance of the bomb detonation test. There's there's some use of silence Yes, you do hear booms of it, but there's some yeah, use of silence. It was, it was creative and the way it's it was really done. cool yeah. how that's done. And there's a mirroring moment where there's like a celebration, oh, kind of a party after the bomb had been dropped. Like a rally at a rally. And that like is my favorite feed, scene of the film. Stomping feet and stuff, and yeah, there's some silence there and some like shaking of the camera, such that behind uh, Oppenheimer, like things seem kind of out of control and wobbly. Like just, I don't know, really imaginative and very powerful, and images that'll stick with me for a long oh, yeah. time. So,
1: that that rally celebration scene um it's probably the most i don't want to say cre- i don't want to say the most creative scene i've seen nolan do but v- from a filmmaking standpoint i think pulled out all the stops yes. it just it had you know the use of visuals and sound and and the close up on on uh, oppenheimer's face mm-hmm. and just you really you really felt what he was experiencing at that time and it was horrifying it was a really good scene. That was my favorite scene of the film. Um, and then the lead up to the actual bomb detonation, I thought was extremely well done. Although we have to point out, I don't know if, uh, you know, your kids were fans of Nickelodeon growing up, but uh, Drake and Josh, the old TV show from Nickelodeon. Okay. Do you remember this show?
2: I remember the title. I don't know that yeah, I... The I two, don't...
1: two young boys, Drake and Josh, okay. getting into shenanigans and whatnot. <laughs> okay. So Josh was the one who pushed the button in the bomb scene. Okay. Yeah, that is, uh, I forget his name offhand, but that huh. is the actor that played uh, Josh from Drake and Josh, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Uh, didn't even mention that the film actually has Josh Hartnett in a pretty big role, which d- I and you was surprised by. Of- I haven't seen him in a while. Yet, I haven't so. either,
2: and I cannot remember the act. Something john michael vincent who used to play an airwolf he or whatever i think like he is him. deceased yeah he um, looked just like him though i kept thinking that was him because yeah. it was like he has these like eyebrows and, like this kind of smile yeah. on his face was like, and i was like is that that dude but i think that dude's passed away who is that and i was like oh that's josh Harden yeah. <laughs> so yeah He's that impressive. was kind of a weird a that was a weird thing but i thought he did up. i thought he did a good no, job he was, too, good. He was so. very good too I liked it.
1: So that is Oppenheimer. I think uh, we were both very much in favor of this film. Uh, Chris is calling it his favorite of 2023 as of here mid July. So that's uh yeah,
2: that's
1: pretty good. I mean, I, look, I, I know we got a lot of good films coming out later in the year that sure. may be vying for your attention, but to be at mid July and you say it's your favorite, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good sign.
2: Yeah, so. it, it's like other things aren't even close.
1: Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well. Very I don't know where this falls on my list. I haven't I haven't put any brain power towards formulating my list of the year. Sure. The rest of the year has been a blur already anyway, so <laughs> I don't know. And plus I'm operating right now on like really about four hours of sleep and uh long day. Sure. Maybe that's the reason I felt like the third act dragged on a little bit. It might have been a little bit of my frame of mind at that point uh, come close to midnight and me watching this. But um. Sure. anyway, regardless, really good film, really well done. If you are a Christopher Nolan fan of his other work, I think absolutely there's tons here for you to appreciate but even if you're not i think people who are even just uh his, you know people interested in the history and the story i think are going to get enough out of this and find this to be a an engaging story to to follow so um uh good recommendations from both of us there that is oppenheimer it is in theaters chris you saw it in an imax i screening did. right i did i did not get to Despite my best uh, uh, efforts last night to find an IMAX screening somewhere during my travels, where I was on the road all day trying to find a way to see it, Um, is is that? uh, uh, Do you? I don't know. You don't have a basis to to compare. Judge, I'll need to see it
2: just on a regular screen. But I will say this: you know, obviously. Nolan makes movies not to be watched on your phone or a tablet. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, I would encourage you even if you can't just go see it in the theater, because I think it definitely right, benefits definitely from the biggest screen, screen possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think I lost anything by not seeing it or I don't think I really gained that much by seeing yeah. it on IMAX. It was great, but I don't think it's a Well, What I,
1: what I understand just because I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to these sure. formats of films and all that. So there's two different flavors of IMAX. There's the IMAX 70 millimeter, which is what he actually shot the film in. Okay. Full 70 millimeter prints, huge print, a huge film run. But there's only like maybe a couple dozen theaters in the United States Ah, that play the IMAX at the true 70 millimeter. Okay. Everyone else, every other IMAX theater is showing it at 35 millimeter, which is a kind of a drop down version of it. That's the version that you saw and most uh, yeah, people see. Yeah, I think
2: I probably saw the 35 uh, And then I saw
1: it on just a standard sure. cinema screen. So uh, from what I understand, the IMAX 35 millimeter is still good and a nice way to see it but it's still not the original format. So we're not, none of us are seeing it in the format that he shot it in. Only people like select cities where there are those screenings. So, um, so
2: we expect next time, Mr. Nolan, for you to fly us to one of these locations so that we can see it in 70 minutes.
1: That, or we just petition our hometown of Hickory, North Carolina <laughs> to build a, a IMAX theater capable of showing 70 millimeter prints. And sure. we we'll make sure we can get it from there on out. I'm
2: sure so that's it's very high.
1: It's high on their priority list right now. I'm sure. Absolutely. All right. Okay. That is Oppenheimer. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to capture a little movie news, talk about some strike impact on some films that we are watching and looking forward to. So stay right stay stay right stay right here. Sorry. Here again, my <laughs> lack of sleep is catching up on me. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films in just a moment.
0: This podcast
2: is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you again here. We had our review of the film Oppenheimer, both of us giving very strong positive recommendations on that film. But let's talk a little bit, Chris, about films that are supposed to have come out maybe this winter, well, in the next year, let's say,
2: Okay.
1: that are now maybe experiencing some delays. And mainly the delays are, in case you uh, have been living under a rock for, for the last couple of weeks, maybe not familiar, there are some strikes going on in the entertainment business. We have a writer strike that's been going on now for a couple months, right? At right. Least. Um And then just a couple weeks ago, uh, actors also, the Screen Actors Guild, went on strike as well. Now, when they're on strike, I mean, that means that, of course, the writers can't write any, will not write anything for the studios. So that includes television and uh, movies at this point. So if you're
2: wondering why you haven't seen new episodes of like the daily show or something like that. Yeah. Something that especially
1: like late night shows that were like, you know, being produced that day, that's because writers are not writing. And if you don't write, you don't have any content to film. And then the actors going on strike that basically means, of course they can't perform in any acting role in a film or TV production, but also they can't go out and they will not go out and promote a film. Right. So there's no, um, I mean, I think even going back to Oppenheimer, the strike kind of started right in the midst of the Oppenheimer premiere. And so the lead actors left the premiere and are no longer able to kind of promote the film. So if you see anything out on the internet, any actors promoting a film it was probably recorded before the strike began and they're using it now. But right. as of right now, nobody can go out and uh, nobody is going out to promote these films either. So Chris, that obviously has big impact. Both of those together. It's the first time the two have striked at the same time in like 60 years. And uh, there was some big, big uh, shifts in Hollywood back at that time. When it happened, we've gone through a writer strike in the last, Fifteen years, right? You know, and I remember it having a pretty big impact on sure things not being made and a lot of delays. We saw a lot of reruns. We saw a mm-hmm. lot of you know uh, reality shows, movies that up. had been
2: shelved, and then yeah. they're like, "Oh, we'll go ahead and put this out. Put cause cause we out won't there. put something out."
1: Uh, little things like I saw announcement that uh, ABC, the television network, was going to be airing. Some of the Disney Plus shows, like the Marvel Disney Plus shows on ABC, like the Miss Marvel show is going to be shown on ABC. Because they can, because they own they it. They can, so, they own it, it's right. already done. And there's an audience still, I guess they feel like for people to see it. Hmm. So anyway, so some interesting things happening. And all indications are from what we're reading and seeing is that these strikes could be going on for a while. So this is not a matter of like, we're talking like a month or two blip of things just being shifted schedule wise. No, we're talking, we could be really seeing some, a dearth of original content here in the next year for sure. Um, So I want to kind of mention a couple of productions in particular that they've made some announcements that things are changing uh, because of the the strike. So Dune, you know, we have part two of Dune coming out, Um, Dune part two is supposed to be coming out at the end of this year, November 3rd, 2023
2: around the holidays, Mm -hmm.
1: but they are now saying that amid the two contentious Hollywood labor strikes, Warner brothers is strongly considering pushing the Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya film to next year. Um, Um,
2: which I can see how, you know, I think if it came out, it'd still make a lot of money, but the promotion of not being yeah. able to have Timothy Chalamet make the rounds of talk shows or Zendaya mm-hmm. or the, the other people in the cast. Yeah. I can see how that would, <laughs> that would hurt it.
1: Yeah. So. so Dune two could be, and that hasn't been officially done, but that's like, that's where the word is that they're talking about bumping it. Um, another one that's looking at another, uh, moving back new dates would be, and this is one I I've heard briefly about, but i actually kind of wanted to talk a little bit about it. Um, it's a musical version of the movie, the color purple. Now I had heard in passing that this was being worked on, but honestly it kind of fell off my radar, but I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued and I want to follow this a little closely. So the color purple, obviously a uh, famous play novel, a novel that became a, a, a musical play as well. But of course the speed of Steven Spielberg movie back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. So this will be a movie version of, but is musical. So it's going to incorporate the stage musical elements to it as well. Uh, Oprah Winfrey is a producer on it. Um, It's directed by Blitz Basil. Are you familiar with, with the director? Okay. So, he made the, the burial of Kojo was a film from a few years ago. They got some awards, um, recognition, yeah. but the thing I think probably the most known for directed the visual album, uh, for Beyonce, the black uh, is King visual album, like an hour and a half okay. visual album directed that. And then now is doing the color purple.
2: It's a pretty good thing to have in your resume. It I works think so for too. Beyonce.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, Holly Berry, Holly Bailey, who was the little mermaid oh right, is net in the new, sure. uh, the okay. new color purple. So I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm very excited about that production. But now I'm disappointed to hear that it's also looking at new dates for it to come out. And again, these are not because those films are not done. Those are because those films. You know, they're looking at how do they promote them. Promote and them. How do they get the word out about them? And if you can't use any of your actors. It does become a challenge to, to to promote it. So,
2: so Dune Two was done. I don't know if it's been done, but you're saying Color Purple is also. I done. think Color I think Purple think is supposed okay. to
1: be coming out this winter. So okay. that was going to be something coming out this winter. So that's being affected. Got you. And then Chris, just brace yourself. Um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom oh. is also one that's supposed to be coming out this uh, December, I believe. It is also another one being considered. To move. Hmm. Um, I think right now color purple and Aquaman sequel were both slated for December 20th and the 25th. So right around Christmas time, So
2: there's some good counter programming yeah. have Aquaman the new, yeah. and the color purple musical. Interesting.
1: Well, and they're saying too, like a color purple, they're hoping would have a robust awards campaign, which is definitely sure. more challenging without access to the actors today. absolutely. So we could be seeing a lot of things shifting now, right now. Looking at big movies anyway, and I'm not saying that we all just we're just focusing on the big movies, but those are the ones that get a lot more press right now. Sure. Disney's The Marvels is still slated for November 10th. Okay. Uh, and then we have The Hunger Games reboot. Prequel-ish, prequel whatever. Right. Yeah. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes on November 17th. Uh, Apple Studios is still planning on releasing at this point Napoleon on November 22nd.
2: I see it's so hard for me to keep up with this stuff. I didn't realize that was Apple Napoleon. Yep. So the mm-hmm. Ridley Scott thing's an Apple joint. Wait, I,
1: it's going to theaters first, just like okay. uh, killers of a flower. Moon. So they
2: have both Ridley Scott and Martin oh, Scorsese. Yeah. I, I knew they had Martin Scorsese cause I've already forgotten that a couple of times, but I'm now cemented in my brain. Yep. Killers of the flower moon is Apple, but wow. Napoleon is too. Huh. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're taking the Netflix model of we're going to try to win. Oh, they've already won Oscar with Coda, but we're going to. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Keep doing didn't, that. Didn't do that. Okay.
1: So right now, those three kind of big pictures that are slated for uh, the winter, they haven't announced any new dates or moving, but those are all I'm sure being discussed. Mm. You know, what do you do? Um, look, it's 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 a tough situation. I you know I mean me personally I'm. I'm all in favor of, of the unions and the strikes that they're doing me personally. I mean, but look, if you're somebody with the studios, I mean, and, and if you believe the studio side of things, it's a challenge there as well. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a tough situation. Unfortunately, who gets the bigger, well, I want to say the actors and the writers are getting the shorter shift of all this because obviously they're not getting work or getting paid to stand up for what they believe is right, which is great. We as an audience obviously kinda of get impacted a little to a lesser extreme, but we are well and all the crews not and stuff like stuff. that, the Cruise, people that don't have any movies to work
2: on. Yeah. So it's it's a it's, it's a,
1: big a tough deal. situation for everybody. Right. And unfortunately the studios it has been a tough uh tough thing for the studios to try to sell and get sympathy for because just in the last few weeks, several of the studios, Netflix included, posted record um, high profits and <laughs> earnings. And it's like okay.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think which you tough. know it's 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 I am not in the writer's guild and also not a screen actor. So, but a lot of it comes down to streaming services and residuals, residuals. is the problem. It's not that yeah. they're not getting paid when they make a movie. It's what no, they're no. supposed to get after. Yeah.
1: It's you know the idea of residuals is when a film's made, you get paid as an actor. But then if you have a deal where you're to get some residuals from it, every time that film is shown at another uh, event or shown on TV, like a TV mm-hmm. broadcast, or if HBO were to get it and play it, All those things create residual checks, small amounts a lot of times, but they are constant residuals that they're getting. Everything I've read is that actors are saying that the residuals dropped off dramatically with the advent of streaming because the deals that were put in place years ago don't really handle streaming very well. So people are able to watch these movies anytime on demand on any streaming service and the actors are getting, Next to nothing for that. So this has anything, kind of though.
2: been, in a way, kind of a long time coming. Like it's it's been needed to be addressed, but it just kind of built and built and built. And
1: I wonder if the writers going first was kind of that that energy to say, okay, look, if if writers are going on strike and that's already going to be shutting down a lot of work for us, now's the time we've got enough to really make, make uh, to have a, a beef with. Let's let's go after it and do it now. Right. There's also the question about AI um right. what role does ai play in hollywood because i think actors are very concerned i think rightfully so that without contracts preventing studios from using their ai likeness i mean we've already seen i mean just in movies we've reviewed in the last several months the use of computers and kind of AI technology to recreate people in films.
2: And that was, well that, and then just in plot lines, people are kind of concerned about it. Mission impossible, dead reckoning like that, the whole AI. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's, but I mean the idea that could
1: you take somebody's likeness and like recording of their face and voice and image and recreate them in an AI environment and use that in a film and not have to give the original actor, uh, anywhere close to the amount of money they should get for that. So that's the kind of question. So there's a lot of big questions out there. Um, gotcha. My understanding is they're working with contracts that are, that were written many, many, many years ago and don't touch any of these areas at all. So, but I've also heard the studios are not planning to budge. So I, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where this all goes right now. Right. Very, very interesting. But at least for this film podcast, we're going to have uh, fewer films. It looks like this winter to discuss. Gotcha, Chris, let's go ahead and start coming up. (laughs) I will finally have time to watch 80 for Brady. All right. My, my goal is that with the strikes going on, I will not have as much new content. Things are getting pushed out (laughs) this winter. There will be less things competing for my attention. I will give full attention to the film that I should have watched like last year, like (laughs) over a year ago, but I will, I will watch it. I promise.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough.
1: All right. Well, that is what's going on. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I did have one more having to do with the the new. And this is one a little bit more questioning for you, Chris, cuz I'll admit I'm not this is not a project I'm I'm familiar with. Okay. I mean, I, I'm familiar with it, but I'm not um I'm not a a devotee of this 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 story and idea. Okay. Um Wicked. Yes. The play Wicked is is a play, an originally, right? Yes. Um, um, I
2: think it might have been a book that was turned into a, pl- a musical. Okay. But yeah, maybe. But it's definitely a musical, Broadway musical. Yeah.
1: Stephen Schwartz, who's the composer who wrote the music and lyrics for the Broadway musical, gotcha. is now serving as a co-writer on the Wicked movie scripts. Recently came out and said that the movie Wicked, they have Paul's production on it. Now, first off, I knew they were making a Wicked movie, a mm-hmm. version of it. And that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's obviously a intellectual property that would be ripe for making a movie from. Sure. Uh, He said they were maybe 10 days worth of shooting left to finish when they had to shut down. Okay. So that kind of stinks, you know, a little bit. I mean, to be so close, relatively close, they're still saying that even if uh, they still have a few days of, of shooting to do John Chu, John M Chu, who's the director. Okay. And he has come out and said that, well, we don't think the strike is going to impact the film's release date, which right now, they are planning on releasing, oh, what what did I see? It was next, uh, next coming out uh, November 27th of 2024. Okay. Now, here's why I did not realize um, is that it's going to be a two-part movie. Mm. Wicked Part 1 and Wicked Part 2. Hey. I know. <laughs> so November 26th, 2025. So one year later is going to be Part 2.
2: Okay, that concerns <sighs> me. Here's why. I've seen the play. Okay. It's a good play. The music's good. The stories, I think the stories are really good, but it can be told <laughs> in, know—you know, you know, two and a half hours or whatever. So why can't you do the same thing? And yeah, I guess maybe they're going to add some stuff or whatever. that concerns me, but well, you know, if
1: it's good, it's good. The whole two part film thing is just overall concerning to me. Kind of harkening back, Chris, when we reviewed mission impossible, uh, last week, Hmm. We talked about how the whole part one, part two, that, you know, well, at least we're not having to wait, you know, like years for part two type of thing. Well, we may be. <laughs> right. I mean, right. seriously, that was actually been kind of batted around too, that obviously with actor Strike On and everything else, it may not be that part two comes out within a year or 18 months, which we were kind of saying, well, that that's a way you make that work. Mm-hmm. It could be two, three years before we see the next one. And that becomes problematic at that point. Um, yeah, I'm not a... I'm not a fan of the I'm not a fan of the intentional part ones, part twos. Sure. Um, Filming it as one big production, then spacing out the release by a year or two. Uh, Not a fan, but that seems to be where everybody's going right now. But going back to Wicked, uh, I did look at the cast list because I was just kind of curious. Again, I'm not familiar with the story. I've just read the little plot synopsis, basic detail. But we have Michelle Yeoh. She is Madame Madame Marble. Okay, we have Jeff Goldblum as the wizard. Wow, which I think—I mean, I would assume that's good.
2: Yes, Uh, Uh,
1: Ariana Grande is Glinda. Okay, the Good Witch. Awesome. Um,
2: Yeah, it's 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 a take. It's an alternate. Obviously, you mentioned it's an alternate take on the Wizard of Oz, and kind of like a. Okay, but it's it's really
1: looking at the cast list. Just you got to help me with this. (coughs) Who. Who is actually the Wicked Witch of the West? Because in the cast list, I'm just seeing some people's characters' names, and I don't recognize anybody. Uh We have a Fairo. We have El Flaba.
2: That's that's it.
1: Okay. So Cynthia Ervio. Yes. Cynthia Ervio plays the Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. All right. And Ariana Grande is Glinda, the good witch. Yes. Okay. Well, I see you're smirking. So maybe there's a (laughs) twist on that. Got it. Maybe. Um, Boeing Yang is also in the film. Um yeah, I look I, I knew they were working on this, but I I'm I've not been keeping up with it. Sure. John Chu, the director, uh most See, recently did in the heights. In the heights, I was about to say yeah. okay. He's also done um uh Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. He was the director of that. And G. I. Joe Retaliation.
2: Nice. Yeah.
1: So that was the one with uh the rock, I believe, and <laughs> No, no, maybe yeah. Have they,
2: have they made two or three G. I. J. movies?
1: Um They made two. Okay. Well no, three and because Snake, Snake Eyes. Eyes. Snake Eyes is counts as three. <laughs> wow. I actually kinda liked
2: Don't say it. You didn't like Snake Eyes. Oh no, I never saw Snake Eyes. Okay, good. Never saw Snake Eyes. I kinda liked the other the two though. Wow. I don't know. All they right.
1: were dumb fun. It was all right. <laughs> Anyway, John Chu is going to be the director of this, uh, of both parts of Wicked. So don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know if they're going to be able to finish it up and still premiere it next November. Uh, And I don't know what that does for part two. So, yep, that's where we are. Hmm. Films getting delayed, but I think ultimately for a good reason. Sure. So hopefully the outcomes will be a positive one for everybody involved here before too long.
2: Hopefully so. Yeah
1: all right chris well that's all i've got to share on the news side of things and that's all we've got for today for our episode did i miss anything did we miss anything I think you're good we're good uh next week we will be or is it next week or coming up soon i know we're doing uh the haunted mansion
2: yeah that'll be next week
1: next Mm -hmm. week okay so next week's episode we will be reviewing disney's latest version of the haunted mansion we'll be talking about that plus we'll give a film recommendation for you. Uh, We're trying to knock one of those recommendations out at least once a month because that is all I'm capable of doing, (laughs) it appears, Uh, as opposed to just driving most of my life right now and uh, squeezing in new movies, new three-hour movies in the middle of the (laughs) night. That does make it tough. Yeah. Chris, uh, if anybody has any thoughts or comments or questions about Oppenheimer or the strike or just anything else, maybe recommendations of their own of films we ought to be checking out. How can they uh, talk to us?
2: You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at foot candle film. We're also on Facebook foot candle film society, and we're on Instagram slash threads foot candle film. That's how you can find us there. Alan and I are also on letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing, give quick takes sometimes do us a favor if you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on. It'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Folks, the twenty twenty twenty-three sorry, those too many twenties, twenty twenty three Foot Candle Film Festival, September fifteenth through the twenty fourth. The uh, lineup is now live on the website, footcandlefilmfestival.com. So you can go there and check that out. Um, If you're going to be in the Western North Carolina area, specifically in Hickory, North Carolina, we'd love to have you come out and see the films at the festival. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah, no, we're very, very excited. Um, You can actually go on website right now. We're going to go ahead and say and see the films. You can see the schedule. You can buy tickets and all I'll uh, be a lot more information that we keep pushing out online and other places over the next couple of weeks, but go ahead right now, foot F- Go ahead and get your information. Go ahead and plan on joining us in uh, the latter half of September for our film festival right here in Western North Carolina in our town of Hickory. I'm very yes. excited to be doing this. All right. So Chris, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. I guess you could say. I mean, you may be watching your screen while you're listening to us.
2: Wow. That sounds kind of depressing. <laughs> Maybe
1: people are pulling up their pictures of us and like kind of watch, having them on their screen That's while frightening. they're
2: hearing us talk. That's frightening.
1: <laughs> anyway, however you're choosing to digest this, this episode, we want to say thank you and we'll talk to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.